Welcome to episode 40 of the Green and Healthy Places podcast, in which we discuss well-being and sustainability in the worlds of real estate and hospitality. I'm your host, Matt Morley, founder of Biophilico Healthy Buildings and Wellbeing Interiors. This week, I'm in Beijing with Liam Bates, CEO of Kaitera, a company creating indoor air quality monitors combined with a software component that evaluates that data to drive improvements in indoor environmental quality and ultimately reduce a building's energy expenditure. We discuss how outdoor air quality can impact the indoor air that we breathe, what uncomfortably high CO2 levels in closed meeting rooms really mean for your mental performance, the importance of continuous 24-7, 365 data monitoring of indoor air, how efforts to create more sustainable buildings in the past may have inadvertently created less healthy buildings, the levers available to us to improve that indoor air quality and how buildings, landlords and indeed employers today need to up their game like never before just to encourage workers back into the office. It's a topical subject, so if you enjoy this episode, please hit subscribe for a weekly update from me. You can check out Kaitera with a K and double R dot com. Here's Liam Bates. Liam, pleasure to have you on the show. Let's jump into it. Why don't you give us a quick overview of your products and services at Kaitera and a little bit of background on the company history up to the present day? Sure. And yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. Very excited to talk about my favorite topic on earth. <laughs> so in a nutshell, what we do at Kaitera is create solutions to help people, companies, buildings uh, understand measure and ultimately improve their, their indoor environment while also reducing their carbon footprint. So low carbon, healthy buildings. Um, as human beings, we spend around 90% of our time indoors. And the reality is that most of the buildings in which we spend our time are, they weren't created with the health and well-being of the occupants in mind. Um, sometimes it's an afterthought, but in the vast majority of cases, it's, it's not even a thought at all. It's never really been a consideration. And given the massive impact that the environment has on how we feel and how productive and how happy we are, uh, yeah, we think it's really important that there's uh, that, that there's there are improvements made. So more concretely, what we're doing is we're making hardware, uh, physical products to measure environmental quality, specifically air quality. Uh, and then we have a layer of software on top that helps sift through that data, helps people understand it, visualize it, analyze it, and ultimately you know, helping people to um, make more data-driven decisions to improve their indoor environment. So if we start big picture and we, you know, I think it's always worthwhile in these discussions to establish upfront what the, the negatives are, what the risks are. So if we look at what the health risks are of indoor air, I think there's a general acceptance of outdoor air pollution. But when we look at indoor air in in cities, like what's going on there that we, the public, need to know about? And how can this have an effect on, on mental and physical well-being during our workday or during our, our lives in our homes? Yeah, sure. And and you you brought up a really interesting point there, which is outdoor air quality. We often think that there maybe there's air pollution outside. I mean quite often actually we think there isn't air pollution outside. It's, you know, a problem that exists only in 
you know, maybe in, in Beijing or in New Delhi, but of course it's, it's, it's an issue almost everywhere in the world. The vast majority of the planet does have issues with, with outdoor air quality as well. And quite often indoor air quality is, it's, it's very driven by what's going on outdoors. So if, you know, some of the, some of the, the obvious examples are if there's a wildfire burning, as we've seen happen more and more on the west coast of the U.S., uh, bushfires across Australia. Um, you see the same thing in Singapore. So if the outdoor air is polluted, the air indoors is usually not very much better. So that's that's one factor. The other is essentially poor air quality that is created from within the building. And there are a few different parameters here. There are a few different things that 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 can have an impact on us. Um, some of the the one that most people might be most familiar with would be. Uh, CO2 levels. So we've all we've all been in that meeting room where there's too many people, there's not enough ventilation, <laughs> and you just start to feel claustrophobic. You start to feel hot. Even sometimes the, the temperature of the room isn't actually increasing. You just feel uncomfortable and hot and sweaty, and you think somebody needs to open a window. Like like let's get out of this meeting. And you know that that's that's a feeling that's being driven by. Uh, amongst other things, an increased level of, of carbon dioxide. Uh, but there's there's also other important parameters: volatile organic compounds (VOCs). These are uh, chemicals that are given off by furniture in the room, paint on the walls, uh, sometimes even the people in the rooms as well. And they have a similar impact on us. Particulate matter is probably the large, the the the, the third main parameter that that. Uh, is of concern, and that can come you know, from the outdoors, uh, smog. It can also come from indoors. Uh, and let's say the the poor ventilation between the kitchen and the office, or uh, even someone uh, vacuuming the carpets in the morning and kicking up dust into the air. Anyone with asthma has will know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, but that's that's kind of the extreme scenario. You you still even if 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 you you don't suffer from asthma, you will still feel these impacts maybe in a much more subconscious way, but the impacts are clear. There's a lot of research that shows both short-term health impacts and productivity impacts, as well as long-term health impacts. A lot of the guidance and advocacy for a greater integration of indoor air quality monitors in new buildings and in uh, refurbishments, particularly in big cities like London, uh, here in Barcelona, is being led by the healthy building and the sustainable green building movement. So how do what you do around the, uh, the, the monitorization, so like the kind of creating that data, how does that connect with the building systems? So these sort of certification systems that are out there today, are there differences between them? Are you seeing a common theme uh, or common standards being set by each of them, or is there still a lot of movement in that sense or confusion within the within the uh, let's say certification market? Yeah, so there is there's definitely a a massive trend in 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 that so around healthy buildings in general and around the importance of monitoring and specifically continuous monitoring within those. So I take maybe a, a few, a few steps back into history. Um, you know, we've had, a, there's been a, f a focus on sustainability for a, 
longer than there has been healthy buildings. And you know, we've known that uh, energy efficiency is important. Unfortunately, often indoor the indoor environment came sort of the, the cost, uh, sort of, let's say, a degradation of the indoor environment was a cost of creating sustainable buildings. So an interesting example that I sort of always like to use, which is, which is a little bit extreme, but I think is a good illustration, is that if you wanted to make the perfect sustainable building, what you would do is you'd probably build a concrete block with no windows, um, no doors, thick concrete, and no ventilation system. And you'd probably leave the lights turned off all the time. And, and then your building wouldn't be using any energy. Uh, and it would be incredibly sustainable, but it would be terrible for anybody that was inside that building. And that's obviously an extreme example, but historically, as we move towards, you know, putting an emphasis on, on energy efficiency, it often came at a cost to the ventilation and the quality of air inside the building. And so I think that's what's driven a lot of the new certifications. And, you know, great examples of this would be the, the, the well building standard, as well as reset, uh, well, having a strong focus on healthy buildings in general. Uh, with a focus on both air, but also water, nutrition, uh, light, and reset being a certification that is more closely focused on uh, on air quality specifically. And what's interesting with both of these is that they've really been leading the the charge when it comes to continuous monitoring. And what that is 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 making a shift from historically how we took measurements in buildings, which is having someone come around maybe once a year with a large sort of laboratory grade instrument, putting it in a room, taking a reading, sometimes you know, writing it down on a notebook, and then coming back one year later to see if things were better or worse. And so it's really just a one point in time measurement. Whereas what we're seeing now, which is really enabled by the shift in of IoT products, connected products, uh, more integrations with building management systems, but also with the cloud, is the potential to really be monitoring throughout an entire building in every nook and cranny, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. And what's really exciting is that these these building certifications are now allowing, um, let's say, more points or more paths to certification through the utilization of this data. And I think that's a great thing because it it's it's really providing a true picture of what's going on inside the building, as opposed to what was it like this one day when someone happened to come in, which is kind of like rolling the dice. Uh, if 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 it happened to be polluted outside, it would look like your building was performing badly. Uh, if somebody you know was happened to uh, just clean the carpets that morning and there were chemicals in the building, it might look like your air quality is terrible, or vice versa. And that's, that's really not how we should be making decisions that impact, again, where we spend 90% of our time as human beings, especially in the 21st century with all the access to data that we have. Uh, you know, I, I really believe that we should be making data-driven decisions. And um, yeah, it's great to, think, to see things moving in that direction. It's a fundamental shift in how we think about uh, monitoring our air. And I think it's, it's you know, important that we give that historical perspective that perhaps you know, in the past, it was typically, yeah, exactly that, you know, a once-off measure. Now, if you do that at the beginning of a flush-out, so say post 
fit out of a building we typically or post construction you typically leave it there for you know any any number of weeks depending on how it was built right and you might take a, a recording at the beginning of that flush out another one at the end of the flush out and then and then that was it but really then you've no idea you are flying blind for every consecutive day after that until the next air quality monitor reading right so it just it makes really when looking back it made very little sense and i think this is it's really empowering system to be able to say that the building management and therefore, you know, if the transparency and the communication, and it can be as simple as a, a digital screen at the entrance, the, the reception lobby, right? Just saying, look, here's what's happening today. Here's where we're at in terms of where the outdoor air quality is at. And here's what's happening indoors on the different floors. And that level of yeah, tra- transparency, I think, is the key. You know, that starts to really talk to, to smart buildings and the future of, of healthy buildings. So I think perhaps the question then is, you know, people might ask themselves, okay, but how, what can we do, like, what are the levers available to improve indoor air quality? Because obviously you have the sort of the, the, the net input from the outside of that outdoor air. But then in terms of policies or uh, strategies that can be deployed to improve indoor air, how do you typically think about that? That's a great question. And it's, 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 a, it's a complicated answer. And the reason... And I think because it's so complicated, it means that you know we we have we have a lot of work to do because air quality, when you think about it sort of holistically, is not as simple as let's say temperature. If you're in a room and you you feel cold, you know that there's one simple solution, which is to increase the temperature. And when you increase it to a certain amount, you will feel comfortable, uh, at least from from the sort of thermal comfort perspective. And you can also you know exactly what the building needs to do. It it simply needs to increase the temperature and you can also work out what the energy consumption is. It's, it's, it's a very, you know, a relatively simple equation um, to, to, to translate how somebody is feeling into what should be done, what the impact is of, of making those decisions. Overall air quality suddenly is uh, a lot more complicated. So maybe to get back to the, the first question there is this kind of, what are the levers that we have? Uh, there are a number of things. So, at a most basic level, how much, how much fresh air, how much outdoor air are we bringing into the building? And so maybe the best way to look at this is, is, is sort of individually some of the different parameters that I mentioned at the beginning. If you have high levels of carbon dioxide, that means that you need to bring in more outdoor air. And so, you know, adjusting the ventilation rate is, is a way that you can impact that. Of course, you can also do that by opening the windows. These things come at a cost potentially, however, because... What happens if I open the windows and there is, for example, ozone <laughs> present outside as is you know, relatively common in many parts of the world? Or what if there is particulate matter because I'm next to a highway? Uh, so this is where it gets a little bit more complicated and where a lot of our, our development and engineering work goes as a company is, is understanding the relationship between these, these different parameters and how they interact so that ultimately uh, an intelligent decision can be made. Going to some of the other levers, you have the, of course, the, the filtration rate in a filter. So how, what is the grade of, of the filter in, in the air handling unit? So again, that <laughs> comes at a cost. The higher the grade of the filter, the more particles it will filter out, the cleaner your air will be. But there will also be less air coming into the building. And so it's, it's all a balancing equation between these different parameters and also balancing between, again, sustainability or carbon footprint 
and the health and well-being of the occupants. Uh, but there are some some very simple things that can be done or some obvious changes that can be made once you have the data and once you you look at the data. So examples might be, uh, and we, we've seen this in a few a few case studies recently, um, changing the hours in which cleaning takes place. This is one of the highest potential highest ROI uh, things that you can do. A lot of companies had cleaning schedules that were in the morning. And especially with 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 everything uh, COVID related, those cleaning those those cleanings became very thorough. <laughs> There's a lot of deep cleaning going on, which is of course a great thing, except that a lot of the chemicals that are used in the cleaning process are not necessarily very good for the people that breathe them in. Um, you know, there's there's it's it's funny. You look at a bottle of of, of what is typically used to clean just about anything, and you know, it says, if you drink this, contact poison control. And, you know, there's a little skull and crossbones on, on the bottle saying, don't drink this cleaning fluid. But the reality is that we are quite often using these materials on, on tables, um, on floors, and then they're off-gassing and we're breathing those gases in throughout the rest of the day. So without having continuous monitoring where you can see this 24-hour trend, you wouldn't necessarily see that you have, by cleaning at 6 a.m. in the morning, created an enormous spike in chemicals at 8 a.m. when everyone comes into the office. So very simple change. Clean at 6 p.m. instead of 6 a.m. Uh, it's outside of working hours, but that spike happens when there's nobody in the building, and then it drops throughout the rest of the night. And as long as you turn on, maybe there, there's still some residual chemicals in the air at, let's say, 6 a.m., but as long as the ventilation system comes on at, say, 7 a.m., one hour before anybody enters the building, they're walking into a clean, healthy environment rather than one that is, um, you know, potentially quite contaminated. And so, yeah, there's some 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 levers that that the that are really human based, where we understand what's going on and then we can change our behavior. And some of the others, which are more uh, automated or something that the building management system can control. So it sounds like you sort of have what happens before the occupants enter the building. So that might be like construction and interior fit out phase, and then what's going on during the operation and building management phase. So you sort of think of it in two major blocks. You've mentioned the uh, low carbon footprint and energy efficiency piece. And I just wanted to dig into that a little bit, if we could, just to establish the connection between your indoor air quality monitors and energy efficiency. Like, how do you join the dots between those two? Absolutely, yeah, great question. So, and and probably got a, maybe a couple examples here. Um, so, maybe some background data first of all on the just just the impact on the planet of of buildings, uh, because really at at, at Kaitera, like our mission is is very human driven, but it's also very much driven by wanting to have a positive impact on the planet, um, and. So, so some of the, you know some some of the facts here that, that really shocked me when I first learned were number one just the impact that the the impact that planet that, that buildings have on our planet. So uh, the operation of buildings, so building operations account for approximately twenty eight percent of all CO two emissions, which is an enormous number. It's just just running buildings <laughs> is a huge contributor to to greenhouse gas emissions, and that number is not really going down because we're building more and more buildings. We build 
a brand new New York City in terms of buildings every single month. So over the next you know, 30 years, we are going to be adding a huge number of buildings to this planet. And all those buildings have operations going on. So there's, there's this, this huge impact on the planet. And when it comes to building operations, the single largest contributor to energy consumption is the HVAC system. It's, it accounts for, you know, we spend so much of the world's energy just moving air around a building and heating it up and cooling it down. So any, any optimizations that we can have on that front will have a huge impact on the planet. And it's, it's hard to overstate how big this is. You know, we often think about how can I reduce my carbon footprint? And you might think about driving an electric car or, or uh, becoming vegan. But the reality is that making the building making the building in which you live and or work slightly more energy efficient is is going to bring orders of magnitude you know larger returns when it comes to uh, the impact on the planet. So that's kind of a background. Let me you know jump into the specifically answering um, that question, which is in the same way that when when people are in a space, we want to make sure that the air is uh, optimized and that their health is prioritized. And so that can mean things like having low levels of pollutants. When people are not in a space, we don't need to spend that, that same amount of energy ventilating or filtering that space. The question is, how can we utilize this data to make more intelligent decisions run and essentially optimize how we run the space to save on energy. And so the simple way to look at it is if if somebody is in a space and the air quality is poor, then we should be taking actions to improve that air quality. And quite often that that that's by increasing ventilation rates for example. Well, just like we would do that if if the air quality in a space is already optimal or if there is nobody in the space, then we don't need to continue filtering more air and bringing in more fresh air from the outside. So it's really just about understanding what is, at a most basic level, essentially demand control ventilation. That's sort of the most basic example here, which is that if a space is already great, let's not waste energy trying to make it even better. Yeah, so an example would be if recently on on, on the West Coast of the US, for example, we've, we've seen a lot of examples around um, where, there, where there's pollution coming in from the outdoors uh, from wildfires. And it's actually quite a complex process to work out what is the, the, the best thing to do from a building perspective when that's going on. Should you bring in more air from the outside and try to filter it? Should you recirculate more air internally? Should you have some combination of the two of these? And if you, if you simply have a very basic kind of control algorithm going on, you might be essentially noticing that the air is bad and just pumping more and more and more air from outdoors inside to try to clean it. But at the end of the day, you're just bringing in more smoke. So it's really about having optimizing the logic in, in the system to not try to clean when that doesn't, essentially not try to ventilate more when it doesn't make sense. Um, that wasn't a great example. I, let me share another another one from uh, a concrete example from a, a project that I was just looking at a couple of days ago, where the the 
ventilation system was essentially being turned on and run at levels that were unnecessary about 27% of the time. And this was often tied to parts of the building not being occupied or people not having a clear idea in real time of which parts of the building were actually being utilized in which way. But by looking at the changes in indoor pollution, and that could be a combination of CO2 and VOCs, you can actually start to identify this part of the building building is being used more than other parts. The second floor right now, even though it was planned to be used, has three people in it and it's being ventilated for 100 people. (laughs) And so it's just about uh, shifting where some of that uh, that load is going, maybe from one air handling unit to another. And the result is that you get better overall air quality and lower overall um, energy consumption. I think that does clarify it. And you know, particularly within the context of you know, the sort of extreme example that you gave of, of the sort of perfect you know, closed building with, with no ventilation at all. And in many ways, you know, sometimes I think some of these older buildings that are just not smart in any way are effectively managed in that same way. And, and there's just no visibility, there's no transparency around what's going on inside that space. And it's in a sense about taking responsibility from the building management side, right? To, to say, well, look, there are things we can do to make this a healthier space for the occupants, but there's also things we can do to reduce the the carbon footprint of, of just keeping this building alive and keeping it going as, a, as an occupied space and, uh, you know, stepping up and uh, getting a handle on what's going on in terms of indoor air quality is is both good for the people and for the planet. I think that's that's the message that I'm that I'm getting and that we want to try and communicate out there. So if we kind of go a level deeper and we actually think about like this whole process of how Kaitera get involved, how the monitors are planned, installed, and where the value is delivered over the sort of short to medium term. Can you talk us through like how typically who's bringing you in, like who's your contact person within the building project or a uh, real estate management team, and what are the steps that you then go through in terms of installing your your hardware and software? Yeah, so, and actually maybe this actually ties quite nicely to your, your, your question, but also the last point that you were making. Um, a, a really interesting example. Um, so, okay, so for, I guess to answer that question directly, um, we we work with a few different g- groups typically. Uh, this initiatives around the indoor environment could be coming from uh, sort of a, a sustainability perspective. So often that would be, you know, we'd be working with the, let's say, the director of sustainability. Uh, it could be coming from facilities management who are receiving a lot of complaints. People are, compla- either, people are either complaining because they, they, they just feel bad in the space uh, or it's simply that they, they're concerned. And there is no transparency, and that's that's definitely a major issue this year, especially as with all the news that's that has been around um, around the transmission of viruses. What is my facility doing to prevent this, and what is the quality of air? Because there is a well-known correlation between these two things. Uh, the third direction uh, that, that where we often get brought in is is from uh, call it sort of an employee. Uh, experience perspective. And so that might be driven by HR, head of people. Um, it depends on, on, on the firm, but really trying to say, what can we do to make sure that our occupants are happy and healthy and productive and they feel great coming to work? 
And I think this is really being, this is becoming more and more important in the future because a lot of companies still want to have their people come into the office at least a few days a week, but it's not, it's, you know, it's not like things were before. Things have changed. The world has changed. And if you're, you know, if you're asking me to come to the office or you want me to actually come to the office because I want to, it, it hopefully, you know, it, it needs to be a pretty good office. It needs to be better than my home, right? I have to want to go into the office and, of course, have human interactions, but also be in a physically comfortable, uh, mentally stimulating environment that maybe I don't get in my living room. And so that's also a, a big piece of, of what, what is driving sort of initial reach, reach out with us. And often we come in and sort of interact with these, these different groups together. A really funny example was uh, a project in, uh, in the U.S. in the Bay Area that we were working on recently. And we were analyzing some of the data and uh, working with the customer and looking at it and saying, well, you know, we can see that you're, you're, you have um, excellent air quality when, when the space is occupied uh, and the air quality isn't great overnight, but that's fine because there's nobody there. Uh, and that's a lot of that's because the ventilation system is turned off. The HVAC is turned off at night, which is great. They sa they're saving energy, um, and the air is great when people need to be there. However, on the weekends, from the data, it looks like the HVAC system is still running, and you have great air quality throughout the weekend when there's nobody there. And this is this is a really interesting uh, sort of discussion that then takes place between uh, facility management and the sustainability people and the employee experience people where nobody had realized that they had set this, you know, facility management had set a timer to try and optimize for occupant experience and energy efficiency to turn on the ventilation system at specific hours when the building was most occupied, but no one had bothered to turn it off on Saturday and Sunday. So this building was running at, you know, full power for two days a week when there was nobody there. And that is just such low hanging fruit um, that, you know, just kind of observing this conversation is really interesting because you've got the sustainability person that's going, wait, we're doing what? Why? And everyone's like, well, I don't know. It's just set up this way. Um, <laughs> so that's kind of an example, I think, of, of where um, our, our Kytera solutions were, were installed in the project. We work with multiple different stakeholders. And uh, it, within a very short period of time, we've been able to find some some really obvious problems that you wouldn't otherwise see because air is air is invisible it's not like you can't see it without a sensor you really have no idea what's going on but once you see it suddenly your eyes are opened and there are uh, changes that you can make that have a very rapid impact on again both people and sustainability there's a couple of things there uh you know firstly the fact that 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 in your case study, the indoor air quality was going down and down and down, getting worse and worse when there was nobody in the building and the HVAC was off. As in, if you let the building just do its own thing, it becomes an unhealthy building and you're then into the sick building syndrome. So, you know, you're kind of, it's a constant battle, right? I think it's a really, it's a crucial point to get across. It's, they're not necessarily healthy places to be, especially if the inst installation, the furniture, the paints, etc., haven't been chosen for, for low toxins, low toxic qualities, et cetera. So I think that's one thing. The other thing is that, as you as you you sort of suggested, you know, I think the game has just changed, right, post-COVID. Like, the world is not going back to how it was. 
employees are just asking a lot more questions. HR teams are, are rightly asking more from the buildings they inhabit. So we have to go there just as the last question. You referenced the connection between the transmission of airborne diseases, i.e. COVID amongst others, and indoor air quality. So let's try and quell any doubts. Like, How do you stand on that position? Because there's a lot of confusion out there around this, but like from where you're at now, sitting in Beijing in almost the end of 2021, like what's the position? What do we need to know about airborne diseases and indoor air quality? I mean, I think at this point, there's there's no there's no doubt um, that. I mean, there's a reason that we put you know, you put a mask <laughs> over 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 your mouth because there are particles that are, um, you know, coming out when you breathe and they spread throughout a building. Uh, if you have, you know, if you have an HVAC system that is recirculating air, that's obviously not great. Uh, <laughs> so it's it's really important to take the take the right strategies when it comes to uh, how you handle air quality and how you handle your air because uh, viruses are in the air. They latch onto particles. If if there are physical things floating around in your air, which there always are because that's just the nature of air quality. You know, air is not just molecules of sort of oxygen and nitrogen floating around. It's also all these particles. And a lot of things stick to those particles. So in summary, I think there's absolutely no doubt that air quality and the air is tied to the transmission of viruses. Um, there's, there's plenty of evidence that shows this, um, if, both when you look at the particles in the air, but also the, the importance of having the correct levels of humidity, relative humidity, uh, and so on. All of these things have an impact, and there's, there's, there's really no doubt anymore at this point. <laughs> cool. Well, I really encourage everyone to, yeah, kind of get a handle on this because if we're out there in the world of interiors and real estate, I think you know you kind of need to be au fait with what's happening. And uh, thank you for your time. It's been a really informative conversation. In terms of people following along, learning a bit more from from Kaitera, what are your sort of preferred social media channels? Yeah, so uh, definitely. Uh, you can check us out at kaitera.com, of course, and uh, definitely our, our LinkedIn profile. So just search Kaitera. Uh, you can also search me up, Liam Bates, and we're always sharing lots of uh, exciting content about the indoor environment. We have a lot of technical articles uh, on our website as well. So if, if this is something that anyone's interested in, want to learn more about, uh, definitely check out our LinkedIn and our website. Yeah, it's a really, you've got a very informative blog. It goes far wider than than just based around your products and services. I think it's it's a really worthwhile read. So congrats on that and everything you've been doing. Thanks for your time, man. Yeah, thank you. It was great talking.